my mind food out of the trash, right? Um, and, that, and that's why we really talk that this this isn't this isn't food waste. This is wasted food because it's lost and just hasn't found a home yet. You know, consumers now uh, they expect that the brands that they work with uh, are doing something around sustainability and they care about that. If we're helping on the restaurant side and they're getting, they're able to, you know, make a better margin, pay a better wage, employ more people, that that's a win. You're now looking at a business that's 50% of the impact product uh, that we source and 50% of that traditional food distribution as well. You are listening to Fort Worth Food Stories, brought to you by the Culinary School of Fort Worth. All right, welcome to Fort Worth Food Stories. I'm your host, James Cringe. I'm joined today by the CEO of Food Maven, Ben Data. Thank you so much for joining me all the way from Colorado today. Yeah, it's great to be here, James. Uh, this is fun. This is our first uh, first Zoom interview on, on Fort Worth Food Stories, so um, it's always fun to do a first of something. Um, but what, what I always like to do to start off is I used to do this thing where I would try to explain what the person's company or restaurant is or whatever. And I realized there's no point in me doing that when I have, you know, the, the actual CEO of the company on. Um, so why don't you give people just kind of a brief snapshot of, of what your mission is and, and what you guys are doing at Food Maven? Sure. Uh, food Maven was built uh, to help solve the problem that 40% of the food that gets produced ends up getting thrown away. Uh, and obviously a lot of that is out of the back of kitchens, whether that's our own kitchens at home or commercial. Uh, but what we found as we were digging into how to solve this was a lot of it was happening actually further up the distribution channel. And so you had perfectly good food uh, that could be put to use, but just couldn't find a home. Uh, and so you have what we call lost food, right? And that might be oversupply product uh, where somebody ends up with too much of it uh, that they can't move fast enough or out of spec product where it's out maybe out of a cosmetic spec or out of a date spec or out of a packaging spec for their, tr- their traditional channels. And so again, they can't find a home for the food or local. Uh, you know, everyone loves the idea of local, uh, but there's no real distribution system uh, built for it. Uh, you may have produce grown in one state that then gets you know, transported halfway across the country to be processed to come all the way back to that state to be sold. Uh, which is just, you know, it doesn't make sense to any of us. Uh, and so that's what Food Maven's there for, is uh, we help connect suppliers with buyers. So we go out and find uh, suppliers who have this lost food that might be uh, farmers, ranchers, you know, right at the source, might be processors, uh, other distributors, retailers uh, on it. And then when they have uh, food that they can't uh, move or find a home for, they let us know, we pick it up, we bring it to our distribution center and put it up on our online marketplace in front of our buyers and food service, uh, which are independently owned and operated restaurants uh, and also institutional uh, ones as a food service as well. So hospitality, healthcare, education. Uh, they find great value product at a great price, uh, place an order and we deliver it next day. And so what you ultimately end up with is a solution that's good for profits uh, because you have suppliers that rescue revenue and also uh, help to avoid disposal fees. For buyers, they get a great value product at a great price. Uh, that also helps to build their brand around sustainability because they're helping, you know, using food that would otherwise be going to waste. Uh, this is good for the planet uh, because we're helping keep, you know, take food that would be going to a landfill, diverting it to good use. It's also good for people. Uh, you know, we have the goal that 20% of the food that we bring in uh, goes uh, to the donation support a hunger relief. Uh, and we're able to do this because we're taking the food in on a consignment model with our suppliers. So we're actually donating the food on, on their behalf. So it's either being sold and they're getting rescued revenue or it's being donated and they're then able to get that, that tax benefit. Uh, so start here in Colorado, uh, in Colorado Springs, expanded Denver. We really now service the entire front range of Colorado. 
we have uh, around uh, 300 customers weekly that place orders with us, and that go all the way from you know uh, food trucks and small mom pop restaurants uh, up to uh, some of the largest uh, hotels and uh, food service providers and education here in the state. And we're excited that we're you know the next spot that we're going is uh, Dallas Fort Worth, uh, and hoping to be down there soon. Uh, I, to me, it sounds like a no-brainer concept, right? You have uh, suppliers that were losing their product. They were getting 0% basically for it. Um, and, and then you have uh, customers that want to buy the product because they want it maybe cheaper or, or um, they're getting it cheaper and it's just sustainable for, for the bottom line. How do you go about getting around maybe supplier ego where they feel like they could just sell it themselves and they could just do this model themselves? Um, how do you get those suppliers to trust you on that? Yeah, it is one of those things, right, where this sounds like a no-brainer when you think about it. Uh, but there is a lot of operational complexity to it. And then, then you also do have, as you said, uh, sometimes things that you need to overcome, both on the supplier side and the buyer side. On the supplier side, it's really two things, right? One is, well, they think they're going to move it anyways. Or uh, in a lot of cases, what really forces that they don't have the room. Uh, I mean, that's the reason that a lot of our suppliers will even bring the product directly to us is because they just want to get it off their floor, right? You know, they need to free up the cooler space. They need to uh, free up the freezer space. They've got more product coming in that they know they have a buyer for, but now this is sitting in the way. And it's crazy how much that happens uh, with it. The other side that you have to overcome with suppliers is a number of times they may feel, you know, I don't want to you know, sell product at a lower price than what I normally do, right? You know, my yeah. firsts are going, you know, do I really want to put second or thirds out on the market? And the thing is, and what we help coach them through is, you're ultimately, you're not going to damage your first because you already have a home for those. And, you know, there really, there is enough demand for this. It, it really, though, is about the fact that you've got to find, you got to find the right demand for that. And that's what we help them do, right? Is find additional channels that they can have an out, uh, output for their, for their product and help to get the rescue revenue. Um, on the buyer side, it, it's a little bit different, right? You may end up with folks who, well, you know, am I buying food out of the trash, right? Um, mm -hmm. and, that, and that's why we really talk that this, this, isn't, this isn't food waste. This is wasted food because it's lost and just hasn't found a home yet. Uh, and you also, you know, have to help people potentially get used to using different uh, products that are in a different configuration. You know, uh, chefs who have, uh, have a lot of experience and been doing a lot, you know, they understand, okay, hey, I can get a great deal on frozen meat. I just need to understand, okay, what do I need to do to be able to slack this out? What's the right time for it? You know, if I'm doing that, this is probably not something maybe that I'm cutting up and serving, you know, directly as a, a steak cut, but I'm doing some sort of preparation with it and some sort of additional flavoring. And they understand how to do that to still provide a great meal to their customer, but, you know, help themselves improve margins. Because uh, we all know, uh, you know, restaurants operate on some pretty thin margins. So if they can, they can get a little bit extra uh, on a weekly basis, that can, that can really make a difference. And, and it's obvious on the uh, restaurant side or, or that side of it, how they're improving margins. How much are the suppliers actually improving their margins? What, what percentage uh, would you say they're getting based, you know, like they're selling it wholesale for X amount. What percentage of that are they getting uh, when they're selling this, this excess? Well, I mean, it's essentially 100% return, right? Because it's a product they couldn't otherwise sell. That's I mean, true. that's a great yeah, thing a for, uh, for them, right? They, they already have the cost already sunk in. You've already put the money in to grow this product or to, uh, you know, to harvest it and to, to, to grow this calf and to slaughter it. And, or if it's on a processor side, they've already got all the costs sunk in. 
now this is food that they're likely it's either getting thrown away or it's getting stored away somewhere and you know getting thrown away you know some time period down the road uh with it so that's a great thing for our suppliers is without any additional cost on their part they all of a sudden now have more revenue coming back and a lot of times they're even avoiding the disposal cost i mean that's the other crazy part is so often you can't dispose of it for free they gotta pay somebody to do it so they even have that cost that they're saving as well um, you, you obviously you have to have great buy-in, uh, from your customers and, and your employees. And I'm uh, just speaking with, with Megan, uh, Megan Cornish this past week or so, I can tell that she's got great buy-in. She, she really believes in, um, what's going on with the company. How do they connect? How does the customer connect? How does the consumer connect with the overall mission of the company and, and how are, important are they to, to kind of keep it moving? Well, Ultimately, right, we're only successful if our customers are successful. And since our customers are food service and they're selling to consumers, you know, there needs to be that demand. Where the consumer uh, market has been going the last couple of years, even probably even faster than the B2B space where, you know, consumers now, uh, they expect that the brands that they work with uh, are doing something around sustainability and they care about that, uh, which is great because uh, that's then, you know, starting to drive buyer behavior as well. You know, some of the bigger brands really get it. Like if you're talking to uh, the Hiltons of the world or the Bon Appetits of the world uh, on it, you know, they very much understand sustainability. They have sustainability offices. There's still is potentially some disconnect between that and their procurement folks because the understanding of how costs are involved and all that sometimes get a little twisted. Uh, but like in the, the, you know, small around the corner folks haven't necessarily completely grasped onto that yet. And that's something that we try to help them understand is that sooner or later, they're probably going to need to, because that's ultimately is going to drive a lot of the consumer behavior is they want to, you know, associate with businesses that they, that, that they believe share the same values that they do. And, and how do you, how do you tell that? Like, how, how do you teach someone that? And I just want to throw out this, this real quick stat um, that you, you mentioned about 40% of food in America is wasted. Um, and it equates to about $480 billion lost, which is, is a pretty insane amount. And when you're talking to a mom and pop shop, it might be easy to say, okay, well, 480 billion, I'm not making that in here. You know, how do you relate to the smaller customers as well as you do the, the larger customers? Well, it's, I think ultimately all of our customers align around the value we provide them. It's just, it, it, they might have a slightly different priority to it. Right. I, I think when you look at the ones where, uh, you know, they have a brand and sustainability is important to their brand for them. It's about the impact uh, side of it. And then the fact that it also saves them money is a great thing, right? Cause so often, mm -hmm. you know, when corporations are trying to do any type of thing around sustainability, they're trying to find new money for that, right. Or take a budget from somewhere else to tr try to do this effort. Well, they already are going to be buying food. Now they're able to buy food, do it at a great value and have a great impact. Um, the flip side for the smaller folks, a lot of it is a cost savings, right? I mean, that's what attracts them to it. And then the reason that they start to sit, stay, stay though is because of the great service and then also because of those values, right? Um, it, you know, when you're able to, to make a purchase and save money and know that, you know, you're potentially supporting a local uh, farmer or rancher or you're helping to keep food out of the landfill, that's a great thing. And, you know, that's what helps, you know, keep people coming back week after week to place their orders with us. Yeah. And I think what we're seeing at, uh, you know, I, I work for a culinary school and we're seeing more and more people come in and they're really interested in the composting side of it. And, and how do we save this food and how do we not waste and 
Uh, and they always want to know where the extra food's going. So I think there is that desire out there. And I think more and more people are headed in that direction. So I, I think it's great that you guys are as well. Um, I, I want to hit back on uh, something you, you touched on before. I think you said, was it 20% of your food is, is donated away? Or, or what was that stat before? That, that's, our goal. that's our goal. Yeah, our goal is 20%. Um, some weeks it's a little bit more. Obviously, we'd wish it was sold instead. But, yeah. you know, you end up, with, especially on the produce side, right, where you've got really limited time and you can't sell it. You still want to make sure it goes to good use. So, yeah, that's the goal that we have. And we've been, I think last year when we looked at our numbers, we averaged around 24% uh, for the year of the food that we brought in by volume uh, was donated in support of hunger relief. And, and where is it going specifically? Is it in the local Colorado area? Yeah, so here it is, uh, right, because we're based in Colorado, so that's where we've got our logistics network right now. And so we have a number of different nonprofit partners, uh, different food banks, different uh, shelters, ones though that usually tend to have a uh, some sort of kitchen prep, right, that they're doing uh, meals uh, for folks, because obviously that's the type of uh, product that we have. That's what it's best suited for. Uh, but it's great. Like we did an incredible event uh, a couple uh, months ago with Volunteers of America uh, here at their Denver location uh, where, you know, one, we uh, got a menu put together by one of our advisory uh, board chefs, uh, Tim Ma out of Washington, D.C. Uh, some just, you know, great uh, menu items that the folks who come to this uh, shelter wouldn't normally ever get an opportunity to, to take part in. Uh, and then we brought together some great rescue product around it uh on it that you know product that was oversupply and then uh the chefs there at voa got to put it all together our team came down uh helped serve uh, the folks that were uh th that they were helping to support and it just it was an awesome thing that all comes together because that's another part of what we do and why we do it is we believe that for you know to truly have a sustainable food ecosystem and economy that local has to be a big part of it so what you can do to connect local buyers, uh, you know, restaurants, the chefs, uh, the suppliers who it's coming from, and then ultimately the consumer as well, uh, that that's, that's really powerful. And the more you can do that and the more you can tell those stories and build those relationships, that that's what truly builds a, a sustainable food economy. Yeah, I, I think that's great. And I'm, I'm excited to see how that plays out here in the, the Dallas-Fort Worth area. I do want to hit you with a couple of maybe tougher questions, if, if that's cool here. Um, Please. Please. Yeah, so we as Americans, I think, have this inherent skepticism where we always kind of believe that we're being screwed or taken advantage of or people have different uh, values than, than they're saying they do. And I think your company is no different where we've talked about it seems like a no-brainer. You, you guys are giving back to the community, which is, is really awesome. But um, there have been some people that have been vocal um, against what you're doing. And um, there's this one rancher in particular I was reading a little bit of um, what he was writing, uh, I, won't, I won't say his name, I won't give him the platform here, but he claims that you guys are actually undercutting local farmers through this process um, and that you're using steeply discounted food to line your own pockets while helping the big businesses uh, that couldn't sell that food is, is um, a little bit of a paraphrase, but almost direct quote. Um, how would you respond to that kind of criticism? Well, you know, so I think one thing is early on, when we looked at this food that we were trying to find a home for, maybe it was struggling, we did a bit of lumping stuff together, right? Between the oversupply product, the out-of-spec product, and some of the local. What we learned, though, is local really did have to be treated differently. Like, local uh, farmers and ranchers still do have oversupply or out-of-spec product, but if they're just not able to break in, that that's probably something we have a slightly different model on. So we originally, I think, tried to have a little bit of a one-size-fits-all uh, with our relationships, and we realized that that wasn't a great fit for local. 
that's something we changed and adjusted quite a bit on that to make sure that the local providers are, are getting back, you know, the return that they need to have. Um, you know, sometimes there still is definitely, I think, a opportunity to both educate the local uh, suppliers and the buyers, though, on what's a reasonable amount to, to expect, right? Because sometimes local providers, you know, they may still think, okay, I need to price it at this. But when you build that in of realizing you're not going to be able to sell the food service, though, if that's how you're going to uh, price it. And the flip side with restaurants of, okay, you love the idea of local, this is what it's going to cost you. And this is what you need to be able to provide because that's really the only way that you're going to be able to work with those providers. And so it's a balancing act, right? And it's, you know, we're, we're a startup uh, and we definitely learned some uh, lessons along the way. Uh, the good thing is I think we've done a great job of, you know, rebuilding a lot of relationships and folks understanding that we're in this with them and we want to try to work to a solution together. Um, even as we kind of figure this out, you know, as far as like the, on the big company side, I mean, our view is if we're helping on the restaurant side and they're getting, they're able to, you know, make a better margin, pay a better wage, employ more people, that that's a win, right? Especially if you're also helping keep that food out of a, a landfill. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that's why, okay, maybe the money is going back to a large supplier, but it's still ultimately is a plus, right? Uh, for the overall community. And then we just do everything that we can to identify, you know, great local uh, farmers and ranchers that we can work with. Uh, and I think the last thing is, is we also try to be really clear with uh, local providers that we only want to, you know, we only want them to work with us if it works for them, right? Yeah. Some folks already have great relationships, right? They already distribute direct to restaurants or they already have a great local. I mean, I, I know down Dallas Fort Worth on the produce side, there's a lot of great local distributors down there, which is awesome, right? And those are, those are probably great solutions for a lot of those providers. And, you know, I think what we just look for is what's the product you can't move. That's where we can be a solution and where we, where we want to try to help you out. I appreciate you explaining it like that because this is as much as Fort Worth is a city and, and I've grown, I've been out here for about seven years now and I've grown accustomed to Fort Worth. And so um, as much as it's a city, it's, it's almost like a small town. And I think people are sometimes scared of these bigger businesses that are coming in. And I think there's going to be people that listen to this that will have that same kind of skepticism. Um, but I do think that you kind of answered it on the, uh, on the buyer relation and the seller relation side, I want you to, uh, to throw another question at you from the consumer side. Um, there's been people that have written just kind of think pieces or whatever you want to call them, blog posts, whatever, online just talking about how do they know that they're going to be assured the same quality of their use of going to their local steak restaurant and getting a $60, $80 steak, whatever. But now they feel like it's being bought from an oversupply. Um, how, Am I kind of explaining that well? Um, and and how would you respond to someone that's worried about the quality of their food as a consumer uh, going down through your company? Yeah, absolutely, right? And that goes a bit to what I was talking there on uh, some of the preconceived notions that we need to overcome. So I, I think the key thing to realize here, right, is chefs know what their customers like and what their customers think tastes good and what they want to come back for. Um, they're not going to risk that, right? Just to save a buck, right? Cause yeah. if they save a buck and then, you know, you don't come back. Uh, but also there's ways that you can prepare food and that food has been prepared forever that still you have a great meal, uh, that has all the great qualities that you're looking for, but it, you know, you can use a different cut of meat. I mean, that's why they use different cuts of meat and all kinds of different dishes all the time, uh, with it. Uh, and, and I think that's what it's about is just 
finding that balance and, uh, and, and just understand that. And so, you know, are you going to take, you know, maybe some of our oversupplied beef uh, that's been frozen for a while, is the chef going to take that and uh, simply cut it and sear it and serve it? Eh, likely not, right? Because, yeah. you know, there, there is some change to taste uh, when you're dealing with that. It's still perfectly healthy, perfectly good, and can be a great tasting meal. You just prep it a little bit differently. And so uh, that's kind of that part um, that, that we work with. And I think the other part, too, is, yeah, this is the understanding on the consumer side. It, one of the biggest drivers of a lot of this is the, the focus around cosmetics. And this is why food service is such a great thing for us, because so often, you know, all the food is being prepared. So you could take a, you know, package of, uh, you know, if it's rainbow shard or if it's potatoes or any other produce item. And, you know, there's a couple on there that have some, you know, parts that aren't suitable. Okay, you cut those out, you prepare the rest, and you're perfectly good. And I mean, that's been the way that, you know, food has been prepared for centuries uh, on it. You don't want it to go to waste. You want to use what's good and, and it's still plenty good. But the consumer side has been coached now to like, oh, no, it has to, it has to look perfect. And the good thing is, I think that's changing. There's a lot of education that's happening around it. Uh, and ultimately, you know, we always want to make sure that it's uh, great tasting, healthy uh, and, and safe food that's being uh, sold. And, and that our, that's what our customers want to provide to, to their buyers as well. Yeah, and I think that uh, consumer that needs it to look perfect and has been taught that it needs to look perfect. I, I do think that they're becoming um, almost more of a relic in the consumer market. And it is trending more towards these people that uh, want to see a more sustainable product. And people are eating at a lot more uh, places that are quote unquote, like earth friendly and, and all that kind of stuff. So uh, I appreciate you going through those questions with me and, and uh, just kind of responding to some of the criticism. Uh, because I do think those are good responses and I, I think it's stuff that people needs to hear. Um, so I, I just want to talk about you here for a second. You've been um, on a CEO for about seven months uh, with the company. I think I have my timeline right there. Um, and, and you've stated that you want to see the company expand to 12 major markets over the next three to five years. Why was expansion something that's so important in your eyes uh, for this company? Well, ultimately, it's a, it's a math and a, a network problem, right? Uh, you know, to build a, a truly efficient marketplace where we make sure that all food is used with good purpose, you need to have a wider network that's available, right? The number of nodes on the network uh, that allow you to, to be more efficient. And so this is something that while it, yes, uh, does a great thing here in one market in Colorado, and it's going to do more in two markets, it, we're really only able to, I think, have a bigger impact as a business and a bigger impact for our suppliers and our buyers if we have a larger footprint. Because uh, ultimately, then you have more people that you can connect that product with to make sure that it's sold. And so that's why it's, it, it's really just a key part uh, of the business model and how we're able to, to truly make an impact here. Who made it? Now, I, obviously, you're moving here to uh, DFW coming this year. Um, and, and you'll be opening your Dallas office. Can you take me through the process of that Dallas expansion and how that's going to kind of shape your model for the new markets you're going to in the next few years? Yeah, so when we enter into a new market, it's usually through an acquisition. Uh, so, uh, you know, it'll be a, a food distributor that's providing, you know, some uh, level of product uh, to food service. It might be niche uh, on that, but we want to maintain that business uh, and, and make sure that, those customers and those suppliers uh, maintain happy or, or continue to be happy with uh, the service that they get. And then we simply start to layer in our impact uh, product on top of it. Uh, right. So now, as opposed to like, for instance, here in Colorado, our acquisition was a custom uh, steaks and grinds. So in addition now to getting your steak every week or your ground beef, 
now you can add a order of impact potatoes or maybe some additional shallots or we've got some oversupply rainbow shard or now some oversupply frozen fish add to that and then just continue to grow that over time so that within a you know five-year period you're now looking at a business that's 50% of the impact product uh, that we source and 50% of that traditional food distribution as well. Because uh, the problem isn't the food that you're getting today or buying today. The problem is the food you're not. And so that's what we're going to help find and, and help connect the buyers. I, I have the utmost respect for the Bass, the Bass family, and I know that they're one of your investors. So that, that basically made me buy in right away. Um, but uh, what, why did this area specifically make sense for you? I know you said um, you work with your suppliers and, and kind of hit the, the target markets there. Um, but, but what was it about DFW that jumped out at you out of basically anywhere in the country? Yeah, so uh, we do a, a pretty uh, data-driven analysis of, of the different markets. Uh, we look at a lot of different uh, attributes from, you know, number of restaurants, uh, number of hotels, number of nearby farmers, ranchers, all these different things, and, and then ranked it out. And actually, Dallas-Fort Worth for us was uh, the number third uh, ranked market in it. Uh, and the great thing is, is that it also is one that still is relatively accessible from a single point. Yeah, you know, because our kind of initial uh, strategy is to have a single distribution center and a market uh, on it. And, you know, despite all the issues I'm sure you're all very familiar with of the traffic in Fort Worth and Dallas, <laughs> it still is a lot more accessible than some of the other large metros uh, yeah. on it. And that's and we're just really excited. Right. And it's got a, obviously, uh, you know, has a great uh, farmer and rancher uh, background in Texas. Uh, great culinary scene uh, as well. And, and starting to get more more known more and more for that uh, on it. And there's also a number of large uh, brands that have pretty significant footprints there. So all those things aligned to make it that it was a great fit. And, and the great thing was, is ultimately we're, we found some great partners down there and excited to be there soon. Where exactly are you guys going to be located and, and will people be able to go check out your facility or is it more of a um, kind of business offices and, and there's not as much to see there? Yeah, well, it's really just a warehouse uh, on it, right? So as, as yeah. long as uh, folks are sign a visitor's log and uh, we're sticking with all of our food safety, I'm sure people can swing by. Uh, we haven't announced it final yet. We're, we're in the process right now of actually kind of getting things final. But we'll be nice and centrally located there and, and able to easy to get to to really from any part of the Dallas Fort Worth uh, Metroplex. Okay, cool. And can you tell us where you're going next or is that a secret? Uh, don't know yet. I mean, <laughs> I can say that we want to try to uh, we, we want to try to keep our uh, acquisitions and integrations relatively close to each other, just so it's uh, we, we're the you know short little hop away. And, but we've looked at some other great markets uh, down there, uh, you know, decent proximity to Texas. Uh, but right now, it's going to be about I think what we're really going to be focused on is uh, showing that this model works in Dallas Fort Worth. And uh, once we do that, we'll find the next one from there. All right, cool. Well, Ben, I, I seriously, I could talk to you about this all day. Um, I'm not even just saying that. Um, this, you know, this kind of thing just really piques my interest. And I think we're going to have to do a part two of this uh, when you guys do open up here. Um, but there, there really is, there's so much more I want to dive into, but I want to be respectful of your time. And, and also we'd be here hours if, if I kept going. Um, but will you just take the next minute or so to promote any kind of social media or anything that you'd like to um, for Food Maven and, and then also uh, maybe the Food Maven Breakfast Club um, that you guys sent out over email? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, our team does a great job of putting out a lot of stuff around sustainability, around our, our, our chef partners and our suppliers uh, on really everything across social media. So whether or not you want to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, uh, and also too, please sign up for our newsletter. We've got a weekly new newsletter that goes out where we'll highlight different things that are going on 
uh, in the food world, uh, around sustainability, around community, and just some great stories that are going on with that. Uh, we recently were just talking about a, a great partnership that we're, we're doing up here in Colorado with Arden Mills, uh, which is the, the largest flour producer here in the U.S., and, and some stuff that they're doing to help uh, support farmers who are trying to go organic. Uh, so some really exciting things. So, yeah, please reach out, connect with us. Uh, we'd love to uh, make you part of the community. Well, cool. Thanks, Ben. I, I really do appreciate you coming on and, and calling in today, and, and I'm hopefully be meeting you when you guys come out to Dallas. No, for sure. Absolutely. It was a blast, and uh, thanks for the time. That interview was brought to you by the Culinary School of Fort Worth. Located on Camp Bowie Boulevard, the Culinary School of Fort Worth is helping future chefs pursue their dreams every single day. You can reach out for more information or to schedule a tour on their website at csftw.edu, or you can reach them by phone at 817-737-8427.